0: Glad you're with us. So how can free tickets be sold out? Maybe you're wondering that's true. That is because sometimes we think, oh, they're free. They don't mean anything. Actually, they're very important. Tickets represent a seat, okay? The reason we distribute tickets is not for sale, obviously, but so that we can make sure through the services we have seats for everyone. So we would love for you to share with us Christmas Eve or Christmas Day but we'd love for you to take a ticket and then actually come to the service that you took a ticket for. That's the way this works. So if it doesn't go that way, then it can get a little ugly, and we don't want that to happen. So I hope you'll pick up a ticket out in the courtyard this morning as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ together. As we talk about anticipation, if you're visiting with us this morning, we're in a series called Anticipation. We are anticipating the birth of Christ. Sometimes we think about a day. We're anticipating Christmas a day. No, we are anticipating Christ a person. We are celebrating not a day. We're celebrating a person. So pretty fun. The last six weeks in our family group here at the chapel, we've had three babies born in the last six weeks, not in our family, but our family group. Maybe one day in our family, that'll be a six-week period, but we'll see. Uh, A boy and two girls, and and kind of fun, actually, last January, one of the couples in our family group, they're from Trinidad, but we did a a marriage ceremony in our home last January around in our living room, and then they were actually at our house, because they're from Trinidad, they're at our house for um, Thanksgiving. And uh, she was sitting to my right, and she started doing her breathing practices, and so she started going into labor and was timing her contractions at the Thanksgiving dinner table. So I made it clear. We were delighted to do their wedding in our house. We had zero interest in birthing their baby in our house. So she went from seven minutes to five minutes and then they left before dessert and went and had a baby. So that was pretty, pretty exciting. <clears throat> Be careful if you join our family group. There's crazy things that happen there. But what was so clear, these all three first time moms and especially you ladies who if you can think back to your first time mom, you can go, man, everything in that final month was about when the baby's coming, when the baby's coming. Where can we go? What about the baby? What are we going to can we go? What about the everything surrounding that? And this whole series of anticipating Christ really, I hope you can capture, it's for you and I to think about Christ like an expecting mom thinks about the baby in the final month. It's kind of all-consuming. Every decision made out of that context. And what if you and I really thought about Jesus, not just again at Christmas when we get the ornaments out and we get the the holiday trimmings out and then we put them away, but year-round, We would think about Jesus like an expectant mom thinks about the birth of her child. That is, that we would be anticipating Jesus that much. Anticipating a person, not a day. And the person, because by review, two weeks ago, he is our hope. Jesus is our hope hope. We don't just have hope, we have a person named Jesus who is our hope, and he is our hope because he is a promise keeper. All that he has declared that he will do, he will do. The trick, no, not the trick, the difficulty is at times the manner by which and the timing by which he keeps his promises don't always add up with our timing and our agenda. And so, Not only do we anticipate him as a promise keeper and therefore our hope, we also, though we know he is wise and good, we anticipate that he will work in mysterious ways. In ways, in other words, that's a nice way of saying in ways we don't understand and don't always get and sometimes don't approve, as if that matters. But here's what I hope you'll take from this. Sometimes, because we don't understand what God is doing or when he's doing it because he is mysterious. It calls us to question his goodness and wisdom. That's happened for lots of us. God, I don't know why you would do that. I don't know why you won't do this. God, what's the delay? His mystery can cause us to doubt Lose a little bit of confidence in his wisdom and goodness. When in fact, what I hope you'll capture is this it's his wisdom and goodness that allows us to rest in spite of the mystery. See, what we really want Jesus to do is to not be mysterious, just do it exactly the way we anticipate. And then the mystery would be gone. But so would be the trust. So don't allow the mystery to rob you of confidence in his wisdom and goodness. Allow his wisdom and goodness to rest in his mystery. You follow? Because God will always work in ways you don't expect or indifferent than you hoped he would. He is mysterious. That does not mean he is not wise or that he's not good. The third reality of who Christ is that we anticipate is that he is the good news of great joy for all people. Now, I didn't make up that line. I stole that line. From whom? An angel, yes. An angel in Luke chapter 2. But I hope you'll capture this. It's so obvious, and yet sometimes we miss it. The angel declares to the shepherd, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And then he declares what? That a baby is going to be born. See, the baby is the good news of great joy for all people. And he is that because the angel declares he is, this is the joyful part, Savior. He he is Savior. And therefore, he is good news of great joy for all people. And he's not just Savior, he is long anticipated Savior. In other words, there had been for thousands of years people who had anticipated that this savior would come. They just didn't think it would come in the mysterious form and package of a baby born in Bethlehem. See, there's mystery. But God did what he said, the savior was born. Long anticipated because way back in Genesis 12, and the Lord said to Abraham, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, you may have heard that before and you don't think much about it, but think about that statement. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you enjoy at Christmas when you get not a card just with some cheesy statement on it, but the ones that have like the family pictures. People took some pictures over the year from the past year and they put it on their Christmas card. Uh, Lots I've noticed parents only put their kids on. I don't want to be on it. So they put their kids on it. Sometimes you put your dog on it. I have yet to think a cat on one. I don't know what that is, but <laughs> dogs make Christmas cards and cats don't. So, so you get to see the, the, the pictures of the family. And it's kind of a fun way to catch up. Imagine getting a Christmas card with, your, with a person's family pictured on it, and at the bottom it says, and in us all the families of the earth will be blessed. <laughs> I, I've never gotten one that said that. You would go, really? Hello, big head, pride, wow, must have been. In us, all the families of the earth. Who gets to send a Christmas card like that? Abraham. Abraham, literally. A, po- a postcard's been sent to all of us. It says, in our family, every family, going to be blessed. That is quite the promise. It's a promise that God has accomplished through sending his son through Abraham. So, as we think about this long-anticipated Savior, we recognize it's through one family, and I want you to capture this contrast, one family, all families will be blessed. So that one family becomes what God said it would be, a great nation. Millions of people, but they're enslaved in Egypt. So God supernaturally delivers them from slavery in Egypt. And he has taken them to a land, the promised land, Canaan, Israel, as you think of it today. He's taking them there. And the drowned Egyptian army is in the rear view mirror. But they're about to enter the land at Kadesh Barnea. And they chicken out. There's no better way to say it than they chickened out. Even though the drowned army was in their rearview mirror, what was in their windshield? The, The scripture says giants filled the land and the spies came back and said, yeah, it's a great land, but it's a land we can't take because of the giants. Fortified cities, we can't do it. And the scripture says very bluntly, and the anger of the Lord burned against them. I set you free from Egypt. I took care of the Egyptian army. I have provided for you as you have traveled through the wilderness. I've established a leader. I've given you the law at Mount Sinai. I've done all that I've said I would do. I said I'll give you the land, and they chicken out. As you and I often chicken out, we shrink back from what God has promised to us. Well, they chicken out. And God says, all right, They're done, because I'm done. They're done. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses, the leader that God had placed before him, intercedes. He prays, and here's what he prays. Now, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath, Therefore, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. People are going to go, ha, he could get them out. He couldn't get them in, so he had killed them. He appeals to how people will perceive the name and the strength of the God of Israel. So he says, pardon, I pray the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. So pardon, I pray, that you would forgive them. And here's what the Lord says. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. Now pause for a moment, look back here. Never underestimate the asking of the Lord. Did you see, did, did you just see what that said? Did you hear it? I have pardon. Moses couldn't pardon them. All he could do was ask. And he asked God to do the impossible, if you will. And God says, I will. Thanks for asking. What are we not asking? I will. I have pardon them according to your word, but indeed, now watch this, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. What's that mean? I think what God is saying to Moses is this, Moses, you have asked rightly. You have asked for the sake of my name. You have asked for the sake of my fame, God speaking, for my name and my fame and all the earth. And so I will do for this one nation what you have asked for the sake of all nations. I will do for this one nation so that the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. So God said to Abraham through one family I will bless all families and through one nation, I will work for the sake of all nations. I will show the, my glory to this one nation for the sake of all nations. So this idea of one for all. Now, watch that then as Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 53. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Now, pause there. Would you include yourself in the all there? That's an important question. I I would include myself in the all. I could say, I, like a sheep, have gone astray. Gone astray from where? From the Lord and from what he wanted. Each of us have turned. I've gone my own way. In other words, I have not done what the Lord said. I have sinned. And who's that true of? All. You have to ask yourself whether you're willing to include yourself in the all. You are included. You just have to ask yourself whether you're willing to admit that you are part of the all. But the prophecy goes forward. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Watch. One family for all families. One nation for all nation, but then all iniquities on one man. The iniquity of all would fall on one. Now let me make sure, do you know what iniquity means? Wickedness? Evil? sinfulness, uh, all of that from all of us fell on one. So one family for all families, one nation for all nations, but then one sacrifice for all iniquity. And so Peter says that prophecy was fulfilled and that Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. So as sure as it was to Abraham that through him all the families would be blessed, it is true that all the iniquity, the iniquity of us all has fallen on one. He is Savior. He is good news of Great joy for all. You're getting a sense of really what the angel was declaring. Good news of great joy for all people because the iniquity of us all fell on him. The just died for the unjust so that he might bring us back to God. That's our salvation. And the scripture says salvation is a gift. Now for a gift to take place, two occurrences have to happen. If a gift is going to happen, what's the first occurrence? Someone has to be a giver. A gift has to be given. Because it doesn't happen automatically. Uh, Last year, I was looking in a closet to hide a gift before I was ready to give it. And in the process of hiding the gift, I found a gift to me. But it wasn't one that was like Christmas was two weeks away or birthday. It was a gift that when I, when I looked at it, I was like it was still in the bag. And I was like, well, this is obviously for me. They must have forgotten. So I walked out and I said, hey, Jackie, did you buy this for me? I've been wondering where that was. <laughs> you know, you hide stuff and then you hid it from yourself. <laughs> so she was, so was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I got that for you. How long ago? I don't know. It was a gift that had never actually been given. So I thought, well, man, I should look around some more. Maybe there's other stuff. that. Oh. So you have to have a gift. For a gift to take place, it has to be given. And then second, obviously, it has to be received. Have you ever been uncomfortable receiving a gift? Yeah. Sometimes because of who it's from. Sometimes because of what it is. The guy called me last week and say, man, this, this person's offered me this gift and I'm just really uncomfortable. I said, why are you uncomfortable? It's just so big. I, I'm not even sure they can really afford to give it. I said, well, number one, that's not your call. Really, that's their decision. They have to decide whether that's a gift that they want to give. You have to decide whether it's a gift you want to receive. So let me ask you this. Are you afraid if in receiving it, you're going to be bound to them that you will feel like now you owe them? And he said, no, not at all. I think actually they wouldn't hold that over. They just genuinely want to bless me. But I'm not sure if I should take it or not. I was like, well, I think you ought to say, thank you very much. That's See, gifts... Gifts don't take place if people don't say, I want to give, but gifts can't take place unless people say, thank you very much. And so the apostle John says, but as many as received him. You see, he had declared, for God so loved the world that he gave, so the gift had been given, but but as many as received him. There is the giving of the gift and there is the receiving of the gift. Those who receive the gift, he gave the right to become children of God. So very simple, I know, but have you received the gift of Jesus as your Savior? The gift has been given. That's not in question. One died for all, but all have not received. The gift is on the table, if you will, but have you received it? I invite you this morning not to determine whether you're worthy, because you're not. I would invite you to simply say, thank you. I don't deserve it. Thank you very much. That is in the receiving. And I clarify that because sometimes, sometimes we get confused. We think, well... Well, I see what Christians do. It seems like they go to church. It seems like they read their Bible. It seems like they pray about things. And so, so people can watch the church and think, okay, that's, I'm a Christian because I do what I see Christians doing. But doing what Christians do doesn't make someone a Christian. What makes a person, what causes a person to become a child of God, a Christ follower, is recognizing that one has died for all and then receiving it, saying, I don't deserve it. Thank you very much. If you told God, I don't deserve it, but thank you very much. That is the receiving of the gift of salvation. The Christmas carol that we started with. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth do what? Receive her king. Do you know what the next line is? Let every heart prepare him room. That was a long time I sang that song until I thought, oh. I never really, really even thought what they're saying there. Let every heart prepare him room. What's that saying? Let every heart receive as the earth would receive our king, that you would receive the gift of a Savior being born. To take the, your iniquity, my iniquity, the iniquity of us all upon him. Through one taking all, that's why one family could be the blessing for all families. Because the Savior came through the one family. Now, that's looking back at Christ coming And being our sacrifice. But the Apostle John who said, but as many as received him, much later in his life, in his dying years, he's in exile. And the Lord gives him a vision of the future. And in that vision of the future, he hears a song being sung. And here are the words to it. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. Who's the you? Well, it's hard to know until you read, for you were slain, all, oh, and purchased for God with your blood, men. Who's the you now? Very clearly. Oh, we're talking about Jesus. Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the book, the book of life, and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they'll reign upon the earth. You see, one died for all so that there would be those from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who would become a kingdom. And in that kingdom, who would they be? Priests. And what would they do? Rule. See, it's right there. He purchased them so that they would become a kingdom of priests to our God. And they're going to reign upon the earth with Christ. That will be the act of worship for all eternity. And it will be from those from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. Now, you may wonder if you come regularly, what happened to Doug's TV? (laughs) I specifically didn't put the TV up this morning because I want you to understand where we live. We live at a time where we look back at a promise, and that promise was this, that one would die for, for all that we look back remembering there was a purchase for all and we look forward to a throne where there will be a worship from whom? Every. Not every person, because not every person has received the gift, but from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so, can you see Hopefully, just very simply, but simplicity sometimes brings clarity, and clarity always brings courage. So do you see yourself right here? You live between the purchase for all and the worship of every. You, you live right here. For what purpose? I think it made so much sense to me when John Piper said years and years ago. Missions exist because worship doesn't. In other words, there will be a time in eternity future when there will be worship from where? Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And when that takes place, what won't there be? Missions. But until that takes place, what is there? There's missions. There is the fact that God has placed us on the planet to live between the purchase for all and the worship from every. And we usually get lost in, well, where are we in the time frame? How close are we to this? How much more time? Don't get lost in that. Just get really clear in why you're here on the planet. I wonder if you know Jesus prayed very specifically to the Father this. Father, don't take them off the planet. Don't take them out of the world, Lord, but sanctify them, my truth. In other words, they're here between why you sent me the purchase for all and what you have promised the worship from every, in order that, sanctified, set apart by truth, they would live in between here on mission with me. So, until the Lord takes you home, or me home, he has a very simple, very clear purpose demonstrated by where we live. What he has promised, has this happened? Has it happened? Will this happen? Who did this? <laughs> God did this through his son, Jesus, and he will cause this to be true as well. We get to simply, very simply, be a part of of what God is doing between the all and the every. It's a privileged position. You realize that millions of people lived before the the pardon, the purchase for all? We get the incredible privilege of living right here, of knowing this, And therefore, because we know this, being certain of this, and because we're certain of this, recognizing a purchase for all has not been received by every, we get to be a part of declaring the truth and this truth as well. So I'm going to give you four words this morning that I hope will simply, again, clarify what do I do here. And I want us to think not only locally but globally. We think locally because God is involved in our lives, but we think globally because the scripture says it's too small a thing that it would have been for Israel only. That God is for the nations. Remember, one family for all families, one nation for all nations. So we think not only locally, we think globally. But we think not only then individually, we think corporately. Four words. First, the two words that I would connect to locally is that we are privileged to be and to speak. We're privileged to be and to speak. What do you mean, be? Exactly that. I mean, we're privileged to be. When when a person receives the gift of the purchase of Christ, the scripture says very clearly, he pours the Holy Spirit, who's not a liquid, a person, he places the person of the Holy Spirit in you. So that wherever you would go, those who experience you would experience The Spirit of God, Jesus Himself. The Father sent me, Jesus said, now I am sending you. To be and to speak. To be. To be the presence of Christ. When you think be, just think. Uh, We're talking about being the presence of Christ. Why? Because He has wrapped Himself, literally has wrapped Himself in, in our humanity. So... It is appropriate to understand individually not only individually but appropriate to understand individually that you are if you are born again and the person of the Holy Spirit lives in you you are the body of Christ. So that wherever you would go that you would be Christ on your street. Are people glad you live where you live on your street? Or do they even know you live there? Are they glad you live there? Because when they've experienced you, they've experienced, man, that's, like, that's a lot like Jesus living here. Hmm. Because, and that's, that's not just a stupid statement. That's a truth rooted in the fact that I am, if I'm born again, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live, I live by faith in Him who loved me and gave Himself up for me. See, Christ dwells within me, and and if, if at all possible, I hope you'll come next week because we're going to look at the next section in the life of the next part of anticipation of Jesus, and that is Jesus as our life and an understanding of the person and the life of Jesus of Nazareth that I think. Well, I can only speak for me, dramatically changed my understanding of the gospel and the Christian life. So I hope you'll come next week because it's simply the extension of, really, what does it mean for you and I to be literally the presence of Christ at work on our streets and in our home? Because sometimes we go, well, in home, I get to take it all. I get to, you know, just be me. Hey, how about that? Why don't you just be you in your home, which is the presence of Christ? Sometimes it's more a license for the flesh because nobody's watching. We would be the presence of Christ and then that we would speak, but always be before we speak so that our words would not, that our life would undergird instead of undermine our words. That's individually be and speak. But corporately, I want us to think about that map right there. God has placed that red dot as Christian Family Chapel. God has placed us here in this city for a reason. Yes, for a reason. That, That we would be Christ In this community, individually, we get scattered all around this city. And some of you aren't on the map. I mean, you are, but not on this map in the slide. So you're scattered all around. So individually, you're the presence of Christ. But corporately, we ought to be a blessing to this community. You with me? We ought to bless this community. And so within that bigger map, uh, as of currently, this is our campus You may remember that 10 years ago, from what Tony taught a number of weeks ago, 10 years ago to the right of that yellow line, we purchased that property about 10 years ago. used to be that we just had what was to the left. The N represents where we are here in North Auditorium and South S where folks are in South Auditorium to give you perspective. So I'm showing you this because We bought it 10 years ago, but systematically, as leases for those businesses have terminated, we've been able to take over more and more of the property and utilize it for good things. In fact, for those of you who weren't here, I remember, well, let me make sure I say this correctly. Um, I remember with fondness what has happened because what used to be over there was a liquor store, a porn shop, And a cult meeting place. And be assured, that's all gone. (laughs) And so, you know, in some sense, the land itself, the property itself has been redeemed. And one of my favorite things is that we often do a marriage class where the porn shop used to be. And we have a youth ministry where the cult... Used to me. So uh, the last thing that had kind of been on the books was what's in the square there. You probably know it as Dick's Wings. They've, if you've noticed, they've moved across the street. Their lease ran out. And so we have access to that property now as of the late summer, early fall this year. And what's, the reason I showed you the map is you can see how strategic it is. It's front and it's center. And so we've been asking ourselves, Lord, what do, what do we do? With that, we initially thought 10 years ago what we would do. It's different than what we intend to. Now, we have said front and center, if there is a phrase we're going to put to that building as it presently stands, it would be a community gathering space. And, And think, we have community, yes, but think community, like the map I just showed you. Think, if I can go back, think that community. And you see, man, there's front and center, there is an opportunity for us to connect with our community, not classroom, we have a lot of classrooms on campus, but a gathering space, for a relational space. But if you go inside that red box, it looks like that. You can be glad I show you a picture, unless, of course, you're in the market for a grease-saturated carpet. If you're in the market for that, I have the perfect piece of carpet for you. That that has long been a restaurant. In fact, when I started at the chapel, that was a Chinese restaurant that got shut down because they were killing the local ducks and serving it. (laughs) Everything has a story. So that's not what was happening in this. But, but it's a great place, it's just in really poor condition. One of the great things about it is that it has a commercial kitchen. And again, not in great space, but if any of you know anything about commercial kitchens, that's a huge dollar investment that's already there. It just needs a little work. And the structure itself needs to be reworked to say, how can we make it the best community gathering space? How we could connect with where God has placed us so that we could, remember our two words, we could be, and we could speak as God gives us Opportunity. God has placed us here to be a blessing. But who we are, how we speak. And, and want to encourage you if you want to think about your year end giving, if you would be willing to say, hey, I'd, I'd be down with contributing to helping with the reworking of that community gathering space, just designate that in year end giving. Um, degreaser or something. No, don't, don't designate it that. <laughs> Just our, our, our building. I am, well, let me tell you a story that really clarified my thinking. When my oldest, Clay, was at, in Colorado, he was fresh out of high school, and he had been there for like three months, and he called us right before Thanksgiving and said, Dad, my friend and I, we want to do a Thanksgiving adventure. Now, what's that mean? We want somebody to drive us down to Denver, drop us off in the middle of downtown Denver, and we just want to take no money, no phone, and, and experience homelessness for six days. What do you think? <laughs> and I said, Well, I first think, don't tell your mama. <clears throat> I was like, we, we should probably talk about that. And so tell me what you're thinking. And, and here was my And I said, Clay, I, I want you to have an adventure. This is part of growing up. And I know it doesn't sound safe, but safety isn't always the primary question. But there's something in me that goes, I don't know if that's really a great thing to do. But I can't figure out why. So give me seven days. You pray seven days. I'll pray seven days. We'll talk next week and see how the Lord leads us. So as I prayed that week, what became very clear, and this connects to who we are here, became very clear to me that Christ leaves us on the planet and pours this person of the Spirit into us, that we would be a blessing to those who he places around us, that people would be glad and blessed by our presence. And what made me uncomfortable with the fact of going homeless is that if he went into that environment, and I said, because, you know, how are you going to where are you going to hang out? Well, I hear, you know, Walmart's are open 24 hours a day. And I was like, oh, great. You're going to be that guy in the Walmart. And so (laughs) that just doesn't, that doesn't seem to be really a blessing. So I called him seven days later and said, all right, Clay, here's what I think. I think you ought to do something that really would be memorable and stretch you. But I think instead of making yourself what would some would see as a drain on the city. Why don't you choose to be a blessing? I don't even know what that means. You just figure out how could you bless the community instead of be a drain. What do you think? What, what's the Lord said to you seven days? He said, and this was awesome, he said, I think what the Lord said to me in preparation for this conversation is whatever you would say, that's what we do. So I said, all right, I don't know what it means you develop, but ultimately, bottom line, be a blessing. So what they ended up doing was going to Denver, but for two days, including on Thanksgiving Day, serving in the homeless shelter, preparing the meals, serving the folks, and then when he, when Thanksgiving was over, then they took a bus to Boulder because the, the I did put some stipulations. They had to take $5 per day, and they had to make one phone call that says I'm alive a day. <laughs> really, that's it. we didn't even talk, just you're alive. So, and that was mutually agreed upon. <laughs> what they ended up doing was then going to Boulder, and they didn't have a place to stay. They ended up sleeping in a parking garage one night and on a playground the next night in the snow after they had their some of their stuff stolen. But... Um, <clears throat> Going from business to business saying, we're two students on a Thanksgiving adventure and we'd like to know how can we serve your business? Can we clean your bathrooms? Can we wash your windows? Can we take out your trash? Can we do something in it? How can, and people were like, no, no, no. Said, no, we're not, try- we're not trying to make money. In fact, we're not taking any money. We're just saying, how can we bless you? And that whole experience is clarified for me how I think we ought to think about ourselves as we engage in our community, whether that's on our street, our work, wherever you go, that that we would be people who would go, are people glad, not, not because of our personality, but because of who we are. We bring good and truth and help and kindness and compassion and service to our community, to be and to speak, that we would do that individually and that, that we would see that we have an opportunity to do this in a, corporately as a body. So that's how we see God continuing to grow us in influence in this community, first way. Second way, Beginning in Easter of 2017, this is what we're planning towards. Easter of 2017, we're going to begin a weeknight worship service that would match what we do on Sunday morning, but we would do it on a Thursday night. And we want to do that so that you can get your Sundays back and just go to church Thursday night. No, 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 no. You're like, really? Really? No, 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 no. Two reasons. One reason, we recognize that increasingly in our culture, Sunday mornings is a time where lots and lots of people are required to work. I was reminded this fall, I did uh, chapel for the Jags, and the guy was like, yeah, for, for the months, I can never go to church. So he was appreciative of chapel because it's kind of bringing church to them because they can't go. Well, magnify that by thousands of people in our city who work on Sunday mornings and they can't be involved in a service. Second, we increasingly live in a non-traditional world. And so if we're going to reach a non-traditional world, we have to begin to be willing to do still biblically accurate but non-traditional things like offer a worship service on a Thursday night. Same teaching as on Sunday mornings, just on a Thursday night later in the evening so that folks who go to work can still come and because they have never grown up going to church and churches like Sundays their day off and their time to sleep in we can connect with people that we are not currently connecting with I tell you all that well too much time I tell you all that quickly for we're asking the Lord to put on the hearts very specifically of 50 people who would say Thursday night would become our service to invite and to welcome. Not 50 people are going, well, that would be convenient for me. Convenience is not what we're driving for here. 50 people would say, I would be kingdom-minded in my coming on Thursday night and kingdom minded throughout my week to invite non traditional folks to a setting that isn't typical Sunday morning. Sunday morning says church, and some people think church. Ah. But I am increasingly convinced that when unchurched people experience truth and love, their heart sings. We're not bound by Sunday morning. Why are we limiting ourselves to it? And so you pray about not whether that would be convenient for you, but whether that would be a kingdom initiative in your own thinking of how I might invite and be a warm welcome and a host to that sort of a service on Thursday. And I know I'm creating lots of questions that I'm going to drive on now because we think locally and we think globally. On both sides, the Scripture says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be... That's a great truth right there. That's a hoop and holler moment. You missed it, but you, it was right there. <laughs> whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it's followed by four questions. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? <laughs> and how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear if someone doesn't preach? Go. And how are they going to preach unless they are sent? See, it's great news if they hear it. And someone will go and someone will send. And so, first two words, because we live between the all and the every, we be and we speak and we go and we send. We currently, that's a picture of over in South, our 25 current commended missionaries. You're living here between the all and the every. Maybe because the Lord is calling you to be number 26. Don't rule it out. Our commended missionaries are the vast majority of them grew up here and have been sent out because the Lord put his hand upon them to go. Of those who go, they all need to be sent And Paul says in Philippians 4, those who send are a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So either become number 26 or become a sender for numbers 1 through 25. Be and speak, go and send. I could pick other words. I guess those four capture for me. Living between the all and the every. Locally be and speak. Globally go and send. Because Jesus is, say it with me, good news of great joy for all people. Father, would that be increasingly that which marks our lives, that we would live with the same urgency that an expectant mother lives. That we would be and speak and go and send to the praise of your glory and to the joy of all people in Christ's name. Amen. God bless.